Welcome to the Westside Personalized Podcast, where real educators share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and are able to find a few valuable takeaways from the podcast. And so without further ado, let's go to the pod! All right, excited to start another podcast here. Um, I'm over at Westside Middle School and hanging out today with Lance Mosier. Um, I'm gonna let Lance kind of introduce himself a little bit. Uh, we had an opportunity to go through the first personalized learning cohort together. Uh, gosh, it's been four years ago. Yeah, it's now. been a while. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's hard um, to believe it's been that long. So yeah, and so I know that Lance has had uh, an opportunity to really you know, get invested in this as an initiative for our district, and I really appreciate. Uh, his perspective and, and his uh, willingness to share today. So welcome. Yep. Thank you for having me out. Looking forward to talk a little bit about some of my experiences with personalized learning and both the advantages and some of the challenges that have come with it too. So yeah. So as you started then, you know, four years ago, as we went through that cohort, um, where was kind of the the launching point for you? Whenever you got done going through that training, and then you said, okay, we're going to go back to the classroom. And, and I feel like, well, I guess first of all, you teach. Uh, yeah, I'm a, a eighth grade U.S. history teacher here at Westside Middle School. Uh, this is my 17th year in the district. Um, I've taught at the middle school a wide variety of subjects. So actually, when I first started teaching, I was a science teacher for several years. So uh, I jumped around a lot uh, teaching some different science classes. And then about nine years ago or so, uh, I was able to jump into U.S. history, social studies. And, and that's always been kind of more of my passion and my strength. I've always enjoyed teaching science, but you know, history was always kind of the more my more emphasis on so uh, so I've been doing that the last couple of years and keep pretty busy if you're coaching sports and and doing department chair duties as well as social <laughs> in charge of the social studies department and wearing a lot of hats wear, wear a lot of hats besides being a parent and father and husband and <laughs> all the other good stuff so yeah so yeah I guess where would you say then you sort of began personalizing things as you uh, went through the training and then came back to your classroom part of the biggest thing I took away from was the idea of student choice and voice one of the things I know about me is that I'm kind of a control freak. Um, I kind of like things to be done a certain way, and I was always in past projects of, okay, this is a really neat, cool idea for a project. I want all my students to do this project. Um, and especially once we got the laptops in the 101, a lot of it was tend to be very technology-based projects, uh, things with the computers. But one thing that I definitely took away from the personalized learning cohort as that first group was giving kids more flexibility, letting them kind of pick and choose things that they would like to work on in terms of the final outcome of the project. So giving them some more choices on that as well. So um, I've kind of moved away from, usually I do some fairly sizable project in every unit of study that we cover in class. And I've kind of moved away from, all right, everybody's going to be doing this virtual museum or everybody's going to be doing this type of keynote or this type of iBook or this video or this skit. And I've kind of just opened it up to them and said, here are some Here's kind of the options. Uh, here's kind of the broad umbrella of what this should look like. Here are the critical vocabulary words or the concepts that have to be included. Uh, here's the general rubric of things that have to be kind of addressed and hit. But how you get there, um, I'm going to give you some options and some choices. And I usually give them a couple, kind of a bank of choices to kind of go from. And that's one of the things I was kind of working on after that first cohort group is, you know, looking at some of my past projects that I really did like and then kind of including those as options and choices but also letting students have those choices as well of picking other avenues and not always being computer either, sometimes being more tactile, making little diorama boxes and things like that. Um, some students have been able to shine what they've learned by doing those other types of projects, by giving them those options and choices. Yeah, well, and I love hearing that too because this is something that we as we're going through our trainings and, and talking with teachers is that it does start with standards. 
uh, and you are going to stay invested in looking for certain key indicators. And uh, I love it, you know, to hear too that you got a, a clear rubric, which is difficult sometimes mm-hmm. to go across all of those. But but that's something that you can certainly pare down uh, to a bare bones place where it could fit all of those right. according to those standards. And right? that's always is that been sort the, of where you went with. And that? that's always been the challenge. You know, rubrics are always kind of hard to create in general anyway. So it's it's really making them very general. Here are the big categories, the big criteria points, um, but not getting into the big weeds, minutia pieces of the project. Just so that gives some kids some flexibility, but also making sure they understand there's a, kind of a clear target at the end of these are the ideas that have to get expressed somehow in your project. So the very first thing I kind of did from that cohort was, um, I in the past I always had students do a research lesson through slavery. And so it was kind of a stations-based activity where there were some readings in the textbook, some videos, some primary sources, about a week-long research activity that the kids kind of go through. Um, instead of doing it very structured where the kids are going station to station, I kind of opened it up and changed the pacing a little bit so students that were able to work a little bit faster could go more in depth in other areas and the students that needed some more time to dig into the material a little bit, I kind of scaled it back a little bit for some of those students. And then for the end project, I gave them a choice of not just, in the past we've always had to do like a journal from a slave's perspective, but I gave them some other options as well of making a movie trailer for a movie depicting a slave's characteristics in life, making a diorama of a slave experience during the time of slavery. So I gave them some different options and choices for the end product to reflect some of the different categories they learned about slave life in the 1800s. In the midst of that process then, because one of the tough things that teachers find is, hey, what does this look like? Give me, give me you know, concrete right. uh, examples. And so as you opened up the opportunity for pays, like you kind of elaborate on how you laid that out and then how that workflow went for students? Yeah, it, it was still a challenge trying to maintain that balance. Um, but what I try to use was the learning modules within Blackboard. There are eight topics of slave life that they had to basically address throughout their research. So for each topic, I created a unique learning module for that particular topic, which each one, there was always a book. There was always a book reading, I should say. There's always a book reading. There's always some type of image, whether it was a photograph or a lithograph of some kind they had to look at. And in some cases, I also included additional resource material. And so with the students, I said, these are the readings are kind of non-negotiable. You have to do the, the textbook reading, so that has some of the basic information. Uh, and you have to look at the pictures, the lithographs. Those are kind of non-negotiable. But on the other things, you can kind of, if you're falling behind and you need to jump on to the next piece, the big thing is make sure you've done the reading and the lithograph and then answer the end questions at the end of the, of the learning module. For students that have the ability to go more in depth, there are some additional video resources. Click here to learn more kind of things mm-hmm. so they can go on there and, and kind of dig a little bit more deeper. So if they were looking at slave resistance was like one of the topics that they, were, they could look at. Um, I had found some good video resources from a PBS miniseries that I was able to make available for the students so they could kind of go and, and, and see some of the actual artifacts from the video of what that kind of looked like or learn more about Nat Turner's Rebellion. They had that in the reading. They got a little paragraph, little couple sentences about Nat Turner's Rebellion, but they wanted to learn more that there was a link, some additional information that they could kind of dip into those. And with their final project, they had to pick one of the different six categories of, of slave life, slave community, working conditions, living conditions, resistance, slave churches. Um, and so depending on what they want to do for their final project, then they could dig a little bit deeper into Revisit the other topics of, of the other issue. They wanted more time to do that. So just trying to be a more of a curator, I guess, of the resources, which is sometimes a challenge because for me, everything looks great. <laughs> and, and realizing that it's okay if they don't all hit all those major pieces. You know, the broad theme is just to get a pretty good understanding of what 
was the life like for a typical slave throughout the early 1800s? What are some of the essential key ideas about each of the different categories I wanted to focus on? Coming up with the central questions, if these are like the big hinge questions, and even like in a class, when you're doing more of a lecture-based thing, you know, you have these hinge questions, you know where you can move on, but putting those more as quiz checks on Blackboard so that I knew that they were at least getting the main ideas for each of the different topics, so that those, those pieces were at least being addressed. But then for all the other stuff, the more nice-to-know things, the kids can go in more depth and where they needed to go to for some of those projects and pieces. How then did that, I mean, I would imagine that would change your role then in the classroom because now instead of going through day one, you know, folder one, day right. two, two, and three, and so on, you might have some students that are on six while others are on two. And so what did uh, what did that do to maybe your The management day -day? of this is still, is, is, is still a challenge. There's a lot of hurdling. Um, usually what I would do is with starting class, we would still do a bell ringer that day. I would try to find some common question from one of the other elements that they most students would probably address by that particular day. So after the first day, I would hope most students would get to the first topic. So the second day, I would probably do some introductory question to that first topic. I would say it's like working conditions. So I'd just have a little mini little question and a little mini five minutes discussion about working conditions, just to kind of get a general feel of the class, how are they getting information. And then the rest of the class was a lot of walking around and monitoring students, just to make sure one, they're on task because they're using their computers and sometimes that can be a distraction for some students. And then going on through about the middle of class, checking on my laptop and then pulling up their comprehension checks on Blackboard and seeing where are they, where are they all falling. I usually print it off like a, a massive like sheet of every class roster and then each of the different comprehension checks and I would just go through and check and just see how are they progressing. Okay. And then I would look and see which students were ahead of the pacing guide a little bit, how they were doing. And then if students were kind of behind a little bit, then it was kind of conference those students as best as possible, say, hey, how are things going? Where are you at in the process? And saying, you know, don't get so hung up on maybe some of the other resources. You know, just make sure you get to at least the readings and the, and the lithograph or the pictures. Make sure you at least you're doing those pieces and the comprehension checks. That way we can kind of make sure you're still pacing-wise. Because the other bottom line, too, is you, you have to have an endpoint because it just can't extend it for out, especially with the history class that's the survey course. Because there's so much that we try to have to cover throughout a course of a year that we can't just let this go indefinitely. There mm -hmm. must be kind of a natural cutoff point. Um, so just really working with those students is making sure that they address those points. And for some students that were, you know, more my assisted learning students, you know, it might be scaling back some of those other re other topics and say, I want you to focus only on half of these topics. Sure. So I'm, just to help them with the pacing a little bit too. And then personalize for them too is, you know, which, which topics do you for sure want to cover? Which ones sound the most interesting to you? Here are some things I think you might find more interesting as well. Um, so just having those conferences as much as you can with those students. And that's something that in the English classrooms in high school that we implemented was just sort of a daily daily goal where students would set, you know, I hope to read, they, well, because they'd start off and say, I hope to read today. Right. Well, after two words, you've met your goal. Yeah. So you have to be a little bit more specific. And some of them would say 40 pages and then only get to 25. And so there was a, a refining of the process so that by the end of the unit, they understood for the most part, about how many pages they could get through during a, a given time, and they um, would start to then allocate different portions of their class period to not just read, but to also get something else accomplished. And so would you say that there was, because uh, I'm hearing that, I guess, in, that, that students started to refine their process a little bit over the course of all of that? Yeah, we try, I, I try to. And then that, again, that's still the part that's kind of that work in progress, I guess, is that, you know, finding a good system where, because all students will pace differently. I mean, there's just 
all kids are different. All kids learn a little bit different. They have their strengths and their weaknesses. Um, and it's, it's just finding that balance of making sure they can meet certain benchmarks within the, within the time constraints. Um, and it's just kind of knowing your kids. That's probably why I, I probably waited to do a lot of that, that kind of a project later on in the year towards second quarter, just because I had a full quarter to kind of get to know them a little bit and see you know, which were the students that have the harder time on independent work, which ones sure. are more of my go-getters who, hey, you give them a task, they'll, they'll get it done and they'll, they'll get through it pretty quickly. Which also means if they do get done early, what is that next step? <laughs> is there some okay. more enrichment activities for them to do? And, and that's you know, looking for my resources and saying, okay, if those, those kids who get done early, because I don't really want you to start the project quite yet because I don't want you to be too far ahead, um, but where are some other you know, enrichment things that you can go to and, and kind of dig more deeper in, in this particular topic? And that's something I even heard from Dustin Carlson at the kindergarten level too, is that let's wait till October. <laughs> let's wait until, and I think that was, pretty consistent with our class also. It's just that knowing your students uh, as far as our five elements yeah. goes. Right? And so I also pick topics piece. too. Like right now we're covering the Constitution uh, and the Bill of Rights. Those are some pretty hard concepts. And so for some of those, I still like the more direct instruction class conversation activities. I mean, we do other activities too, but um, it's a little bit more traditional looking in the classroom. But our next unit when we get into Western Expansion, then I kind of open it up a little bit more to more pacing just because those concepts are not as, as hard. I mean, it's, it's more just general general, who, what, when, where, why kind of information. Um, they're not as abstract. Like Constitution is very abstract for our kids at the middle school level because it's government and they don't have a lot of daily interactions with the government. So I feel like with that, I have to do more scaffolding and helping building those that construct information pieces with them. Um, but when we get into Western Expansion and we're talking about groups that traveled west, I feel like I don't need to be as structured with that because they can kind of go in through and pick their groups they want to focus in on a little bit more in more depth and detail. And then using video resources, uh, textbook resources, you know, different kinds of primary source documents is where I, where I try to implement those as much as possible, like the slavery unit we do, um, just to give them a little bit more variety in terms of the different things we're looking at. So it's not as, it's a little bit more opened up. There's still an endpoint, so kind of, you know, what are the, each groups, what were the reasons for going west, what were some of the difficulties and hardships like, uh, what's their lasting impact? I mean, those are the three guiding questions. No matter what group they look about, the Mormons, the miners, the homesteaders, the railroad builders, those three arching questions fit any of those groups that they can kind of look at and, and dig into. And then how they represent that knowledge and information, again, I give them some choices on how they want to put that, that final piece together, whether it's an, an e-book or uh, a virtual museum or uh, a movie trailer or something, at least if they hit those three big questions and they have information and evidence that kind of supports those, that's, that's what I'm looking for with those projects type of that. Yeah, and so what have you found then to be the, the student experience with those with those choices on that end project? Because uh, again, I know just in my own experience that there are, students ne aren't necessarily used to that. And so there almost has to be a little bit of a, a scaffolding process there to does. that. There does. And that's, so what does it look like in your room? And, and this is still another part of that working progress. Um, totally agree, too. I don't want to tell like we have, <laughs> yeah. oh, we figured yep. it out. But, I, don't, I don't have a perfect solution. And one thing, let me talk about what I, I hope to see happen and then kind of what maybe the, the current reality. What I'd like to see happen is I'd like to keep pushing kids to do different types of projects so that they can build up different skill sets, uh, almost like a bingo board, like, this project, I'm going to do a keynote. That's usually the easiest one for most kids to do. That's the one they've done the most throughout elementary school and even here at the middle school. 
It doesn't take a lot of time and energy to do a keynote. It's pretty easy to put information on. That's fantastic. But I don't want a student to always do that same type of yep. project throughout the course of the year where you're just doing yet another keynote. So it would be nice to set up where it's a bingo board where once you've done the keynote, that box is <laughs> crossed out. Sure. Now you're looking at another option of maybe you're making an, an e-book. Maybe you're making a movie trailer. Maybe you're, you're doing some kind of a green screen video of some kind. I mean, some, something where it's they're constantly building up throughout the course of the year. So it's not this is easy. The current reality is is that I give them options and choices. Usually one's a pretty low-level keynote kind of object, basic, you know, putting it together with information and facts. And then usually there's some kind of other higher element that requires a little bit more time and energy. For my typical struggling students in class, the keynote is their easy fallback. That's what they usually do. You know, they're okay. Uh, for my students that are a little bit more passionate about the topic that they're covering, they might pick a different topic or... I always leave this door open too. I always tell the students, if there's something that's not on the list of possible options, come talk to me. Tell me what you're thinking about doing. As long as you meet the general requirements and the criteria, I'm game. So if it's yeah. something that if it's something you really want to do, like I had a kid do a Lego, a Lego stop action, I said, I know nothing about Lego stop action, <laughs> and I don't have any of those resources to do that here in class. He goes, oh, I have it all at home. I said, fantastic. Go, go to town. That's what you want to do. Fantastic. Go ahead and make it. And it turned out to be a really great project for him and something he spent a lot of time in. And it was had good information, too, which is what I'm mostly worried about is sure. that the content you know, is, is still being addressed. And I think I've seen that, that you maybe have shared that at one point in time. And I know Mark has shown that a couple of times, uh, the immigra immigration yep. one. So he just he wanted to make a little stop action Lego movie. I said, What a cool like merger of what you're doing in the classroom and what he's passionate about, yeah. right? And obviously he had all these things at home. And that's what we hope to do resources. is sometimes is ignite that spark, right? We want those kids to get excited about something. And, you know, for history, for a lot of kids, it's, well, it's old people. They live a long time ago. It's not really important, relevant. So we're always trying to find ways to connect it to the present, but also to things that they're interested in because some things are really fascinating stories. I mean, if you dig into some of the things that happen, I mean, there, there's some, that's why, the, that's why Hollywood movie, historical movies are really popular because there's some good stories out there. It's just, making sure you can kind of find the information and, and then being that good storyteller of you know, what, what happened. So And using multiple mediums in order to be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. So if that student never makes a Lego stop motion thing again in the future, still the construction of a story mm -hmm. to demonstrate understanding was a part of the experience yep. that would otherwise not have been there yep. um, in the same, uh, definitely not to the same degree of engagement, I guess. Yeah. It may have been there in a, in a Because a lot of those form. students made like a digital scrapbook. I mean, that's what, that was kind of the default de facto project for that immigration project was create a scrapbook that an immigrant would have maybe put together coming to America between 1890 and 1920. And so include some pictures and some captions of life traveling to the United States and then going through an immigration checkpoint like Angel Island or Ellis Island and then what would be life like in this new country of yours. That was kind of the general framework. Most students did it as a um, scrapbook. I had a couple kids make it like a little mini documentary which was kind of interesting too, but uh, but his was, he wanted the same idea like a documentary, but wanted to make it with Legos. So that was something he was excited about. And, and I said, yeah, go to town. So Did you end up sharing that video with some of your classes then? Yeah, usually in the past, I've, I usually, that's the other thing that's kind of that work in progress, especially when you open up to different kinds of projects, is having samples. And there's, there's pros and cons to showing kids samples, because then I sometimes totally it locks them into like, oh, it has mm -hmm. to look like this. And that's a little bit of a worry because you want kids to be a little bit creative and not be boxed into a certain type of project the way it should look. 
Um, but at the same time, for a lot of our students, especially if they're not used to flexibility and freedom of choices of project, they get lost because they don't know where to begin. They need to kind of see what the end point looks like. So I usually try to save a couple of examples every year, um, especially the, the, the good ones, uh, to kind of showcase, you know, here are some options. But again, you're not limited, and always emphasizing, you're not limited to this. I mean, this is just generally what they might look like. Um, but if you'd like to do something totally different, that's fine too. And that's such a tough balance to strike. I know that we got into that in, in our course as well, just that there was one, we were, we were asking students to demonstrate their understanding of theme in our novel in whatever way they right. wanted, and as a team, we sat down and talked about it, and we were differing opinions about whether we should give an example or not. Right. Uh, and so how, do we, you know, how can we expect students to know what we're asking if we don't give an example? And we gave one example, and I think of the 65 students that I had, somewhere around 53 of them did exactly the right. same thing that was the example. Uh, and I'm not sure that that's, you know, that would have been their first choice right. <laughs> had, uh, had the, it just been wide open. And so, yeah, I do yeah. think that being able to, there, there is a nuance to that, to yeah. being able to, to scaffold those it's things. It's a challenge because for some of our students, they, they need to see a concrete example because they look at the, the directions and they look at their computer and they don't know, they're like paralyzed because they don't know how to even start the process. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of modeling and teaching that, that goes with those kids too. But at the same time, you don't want to limit the other kids who are ready to, push sure. it a little bit and well and talk about the benefits of personalized learning too is that for someone in, in a in a world i guess today where innovation is critical <laughs> i think in a lot of right um professions and being able to do zig where everybody else sags um you know to, to not to to be in that moment right you can do whatever you need to do to get this thing accomplished crickets yeah. and you know I, I think that that's the that's one of the other educational benefits of all this is yeah. being able to work through that process like develop your own process a right little bit in, a, in a road there so I guess um, kind of a good question for people getting started out would be to say like what's some advice you might give if someone was, was just starting out I would make sure you feel pretty comfortable with your standards and make sure you, you kind of know generally what's the benchmarks what are the criteria um, I know as a department of social studies, when we went through standards-based grading, we really had to evaluate our standards and kind of our essential elements and critical questions for each particular unit. When we were basing things by standards, it, it really forced us to drill down specifically to, okay, what do we mean when we say this for this topic? What are the key vocabulary words? So having that kind of foundation, I think, is pretty key. The second thing is you got to know your kids. Know, know, know their strengths and their weaknesses. Each year is different. Each class is different. Each class brings with its own unique challenges and advantages. Um, I think also, too, look, if you're looking for to doing choice and voice, um, pick a topic or pick a unit that lends itself well to that where there's, you, you know from either past experience or just talking to your colleagues of the, this is an area where kids don't struggle often with the content. It's not a very difficult framework or conceptual framework for these kids. Um, that's why I, I like the more the Westward expansion or the slavery. I, I, kids kind of got the gist of it pretty easily, it's, so it's, it lent itself easily to doing more extensions off of it. Uh, unlike, like I know the Constitution, kids always struggle with it, so I know I'm not, I'm not going to go too crazy with that with a lot of choice and voice on that one. So I think, I think going for there and Give kids a kind of a general, here are some options for projects or choices for projects. And then always leave the, the 
the caveat that if a student really wants to do something, let them do it. And if there's something that, as long as it meets the general framework of your expectations and rubric, you know, let, let them have that flexibility. Like I said, when, I, when we first got the laptops, it's, everything has to be done on the computers, and we got to make sure we're using these computers. And then I kind of lost sight of the tactile stuff. And we still have a lot of kids that that's still a way for them to learn. And so I said, I don't want to make an iMovie, or I don't want to make a keynote. I want to make a diorama. And you know, at first I was like, ah, we have this wonderful technology. We should be using it. And it's like, yeah. but this kid wants to make something tactful, and they're going to take the time and energy to do that. I should let them have the opportunity. And it, they they turned out nice. So you know. Being open to, I guess, uh, letting kids kind of try new things and, and letting go of control, which is, for those of us who are teachers and control freaks, it's sometimes a hard thing to <laughs> release that control a little bit, but it's it's also important, too, for them to be able to have some of that control for them, too. So Yeah, that feels like a perfect place to end it, too, because it's sort of where you started, right? <laughs> yeah. You said that my, my story sort of began there, um, and and it's it sounds like it's shaped a little bit yeah. of your own like perception of your role and, and approach to, to and You're keep and keep talking with people, you know, people who are doing it, and, and I I haven't found a perfect system yet in terms of how I do things, and 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 I'm constantly working with my other colleagues, and and I'm networking with Twitter to teachers around the country as well, and seeing what some things other people are doing, and like that's a really cool idea. So I'd, almost like it seems out of teaching, it's just almost as much as curating than anything else that you're just curating examples and practices and. And those kinds of resources, especially, uh, just so you have that thing to fall back to. Like, oh, I'm, kids are looking at this. But I don't know how to do it, but I know where to go find the information to help put them in that direction at least. So. Well, and I will say, so then thank you <laughs> for creating, right? Like Absolutely. for helping helping contribute to what's out there because uh, I, I'm really believing in, you know, these podcasts and, and what we're trying to do with this so that we can provide resources. So I'll probably hit you up for some handouts and some things. The example, uh, maybe the Lego example even, we'll put them in a folder and uh, as people listen to the podcast, yeah, we'll get a chance to go and explore those yep. and, and just feed the feed the system. So thank you so much for your time no, thank today. Thank you for coming to talk to me. Appreciate it. So. Yeah, good luck with personalization uh, this year. Yep. Well, that's a wrap on another great episode. For more information or to contact us directly, you can email our team at personalized.learning at westside66.net. As always, thanks for tuning in and learning from the Westside Personalized Podcast.